From MZ Studios in Dallas, Texas, you're listening to the Tennis Revolution Podcast. Welcome to the revolution, and you guessed it, you recognize the sultry sounds <laughs> of the one and only coach. I'm back in the house. I made it back from New York alive. Uh, do we have any listeners left that missed you last week? No, I think I, I think basically what I did was is I walked around the U.S. Open for five straight days with a uh, podcast t-shirt on, <laughs> and uh, it translated to zero extra Yes, listeners. right. Well, why would they listen? They can see the actual U.S. Open. Why would they care? We need a booth next year at the Open where we can broadcast live. I there think. we go. There we go. I'm, hey, you know what? Let me tell you something. I'm working. I'm going to work on a media credential situation. I think it, I, after talking to some people down there, I think it's actually possible. Yeah. And then you know what? I think I get front row seats. Nice. In the pit, right on off the ash. <laughs> the coach's box. Which is the only place that's worth a damn in that stupid stadium. I, I wondered about that. That's what, what a, I assumed. What a horrible, horrible place to watch. <laughs> really anything. Well, so I've figured out the system now. I've learned that you buy the worst ticket in Ash, and then you can go anywhere on the complex. Of course, that doesn't help you in the finals or the semis. You don't want to watch anything else. But but apparently, you can buy the worst possible ticket in Ash Stadium and then sit anywhere in any other stadium. So that's nice. But why would you do that? Why even bother going into Ash? Well, no, you wouldn't. You just buy a ticket for that, and then you well, go you, watch other courts. You can just buy a grounds pass. Yeah, but I think the ticket tickets for Ash are cheaper. Really? Yeah, like this, the, the worst tickets are cheaper. Weird. Which is why Ash is never full, because all those people are roving around watching other matches. Right, because uh, why do you want to watch ants <laughs> play when you can watch actual tennis players? It's incredible. Well, I am fresh back from the U.S. Open, and apparently that's too much for Rebecca to deal with. <laughs> she uh, she had it nice with me gone. and uh, I can't deal with him talking about it in person. Exactly. So she is out today. Which is unfortunate. She's probably uh, weeping and drinking tequila or whatever they drink in Spain. I don't know um, <laughs> to celebrate her uh, her man's victory. That's right. That and she didn't want to face me for my Kevin Anderson almost perfect pick. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because her her <laughs> pick was Roger, right? Yes, she did pick Madison Keys. Actually, did she want? She wanted Rafa to win, but she picked. Yeah, she picked Roger. Okay. I think we all thought Nadal was going to lose earlier. I definitely did. Why and, didn't he? Yeah, and he looked a little shaky the first week. So, Well, you actually had a tidbit for me walking in today, which uh, I know you just, it pains you to tell me, <laughs> but uh, I it think does. it's going to prove my point. So why didn't Rafa lose earlier? And why did Kevin Anderson make it to the finals? Well, according, yeah, exa- both. According to a website that I found today, it had this run to the U.S. Open title for Nadal as the easiest path in the last 30 years of Grand Slams. Take that in, people. <laughs> Let it soak in. Enjoy it. Which, when you think about who you played to get to the semifinals, you can kind of understand. It was a pretty weak uh, lead-up. He played a lucky loser in the third round and lost a set in that match. And if they're winning to to get into right. his path, <laughs> that means they had players that were weak, yeah. as weak or weaker. I so. will say Anderson and Del Potro are probably both a little better than their ranking, but... They're still not top 10 players. Well, and Del Potro, to be fair, is better than his performance in the semis. Right. Um, and I think Anderson is better than his performance in the finals. Mm, yeah, maybe a little. Maybe not against Nadal. Right. 
today. I don't know. It was it. Both he, finals were painful. Well, first, <laughs> yeah. So first of all, let's talk about the story. I think of the entire tournament, and that's that I was there. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I was tuning in for. I kept saying, "When are they going to show security throwing someone out of the tournament?" That would and, be me. And I never got to see it. No, I think the absolute story of the tournament. Would have been Kevin Anderson winning yes. and you picking him. Oh, that would have been the story of my life. And the only human outside of South African descent <laughs> uh, that picked him. That would have been every podcast for the next 10 years would have been me talking about how I picked Kevin Anderson. So in other words, you would have sounded like me every podcast. All right. Uh, no, but the absolute story of the tournament, I think, at least in the, the pro level, um, was that we had four American women, none of which were Serena. Right. Not not anything against her, but yeah. you expect her to be in a semi, um, and she is American, obviously. So not having her in, and then ha- still having four women. Now, one of them was Williams, obviously, right. with uh, Venus, but that was the talk of the town, man. Well, that was amazing. Um, and I try not to get you know too hyped up for one event, because uh, I want to hope they back it up in the next Grand Slam, or for the next year or two, but to have four, I mean... They were saying it was 1985 or something the last time that's happened. I assume that's the last time that's happened for any country to have the same, to have all four players in a semifinal. I can't think of any other country that ever would have. Maybe Russia when they were doing really well in women's tennis in the 90s, but right. But I doubt it. Either Russia or all of their subsidiaries or right. the countries that uh, <laughs> bolted from. Well, But did that take a little bit of the luster out for you? Because it's like an American's going to win. It made me not know who to root for. Well, okay, a little bit. Definitely, definitely a little bit, but it made me relax and made me joyous because it's like, all right, we're playing with house yeah, money right. now. We've already got you it. You know, bet the farm because it's all gravy. Uh, so it, I relaxed a bit and I was like, sweet, we got this one. All yeah. right, we locked it in. <laughs> um, we can't blow this. A friend, of mine, a friend of mine mentioned something that I had not thought about at all. And then he mentioned it and I thought, huh, that is interesting. But I seem to remember in my younger days watching Boom Boom Becker and Edberg and Sampras and the boys that now my favorite player obviously was then and is Sampras. Right. Now, I also was a huge fan of Edberg, mm-hmm. the serve and volley style. And, you know, he's almost as good looking as I am. So <laughs> we had that in common. Right. Um, he was I saw, he was at the O. I didn't, he was, see, I didn't see him live. I saw him on Dick TV. Dick Enberg was right behind him. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember caring that much about nationality of players. No, I, I never did either. Because I was a huge fan of Becker. Right. Um, liked his game style, attacking big serve, a lot of net play, diving all over the court, you know, that kind of stuff. Obviously, Sampras. Um, I was an Agassi fan, but I mean, right. when they played each other, I was Sampras all day, oh, yeah. every day. Um, always a big fan of Todd Martin. Underrated, most underrated American player of all time, by the way. Call me Todd. <laughs> um, didn't see him. Didn't I did see another player that I enjoyed quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, this week. Not only did I see him, I met him. He spoke to our group. Uh oh. One as a as a tennis video game on a Nintendo, the old school regular Nintendo <laughs> used to pronounce his name Ivan Lendl, <laughs> but Ivan Lendl. He is uh, nice. Involved with the USTA coaching with their the boys, the juniors. And uh, and that's one of the things that our, our coaching group, that program we, uh, was at the U.S. Open for, uh, one of the things we were focusing on were the juniors, uh, U.S. juniors, boys and girls. But um, they had a couple of different people come in and speak to us. One of them was Yvonne Lendl, which was 
Um, pretty entertaining, yeah. I must say. And, and he, he wasn't he, doing anything because Murray didn't play. He smiles more uh, than you would think. <laughs> um, yeah, but he, no, but he's coaching the boys. Okay, junior, so yeah. he's got you know. So a, he's still busy. Yeah, so he's got a group of youngsters um, that are probably scared shitless, as they should be. <laughs> which, which if they are, that's good because that'll bode well for them in, right. the, in their future. Um, I also met Madison Keys, one of their, her coach slash hitting partner. Oh yeah. So if you were watching any of her matches, not Lindsay Davenport, obviously. The yeah, the co- the camera would pan up to the crowd and they would show Lindsay Davenport, and on her left, so screen right, looking at the screen to the right, was this young uh, international looking fella. And uh, in a hoodie, um, <laughs> a Nike softball hoodie sometimes. Nice. Um, and that was the guy. And so huh. he came in and talked a little bit about what they're working on and blah, 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 whatever. And so that was kind of interesting. So it was a it was a really cool um, coaching program, the high, USTA High perform, uh, Performance Coaching Program. So it was cool to, to be a part of that and meet some of those coaches and hear some things, hear some insights. And, and then all the other coaches that were there, it was it was interesting. Um, Did you tell them the real insights happen on the podcast every week? Well, I wore the <laughs> brand new, which I have one for you. Oh, great. Um, not with me, though. I forgot it. But uh, I have the brand new uh, Tennis Revolution podcast t-shirt. Have we didn't sell any of those yet? No. I only bought enough for the group. Oh, okay. I bought enough for me to wear every day because I, I wore a clean one all three days I was at the Open. I was in New York for five days, but I was at the Open for three days. Um, and so I, I had three for me to wear around. Um and then I gave a couple to some homeless guys. No, <laughs> he's a homeless dude. Thinks he's a big tennis fan. Um, yeah, so I uh, got to meet Yvonne Leno. But that was another guy back in the day yeah. who clearly was not American. He was Czech Republic. Or actually, back then, it was Czechoslovakia. Uh, he came out of there, uh, obviously now living in Connecticut or somewhere in America. Well, and um, tell me this. It seems like now ESPN will always show the Americans playing. And I don't know if it was always like that. I don't remember it being like that in the 90s. I don't either. And, and part of the reason I didn't realize it is because I don't remember just sort of being just American or, or that being a priority, I No, guess. I didn't notice that either um, then. And now it's like if there's an American plan, that's who they're going to show. Even if they're ranked number 150 in the world, they're right. going to show them over another match that might be higher ranked players. Now, why? So I am now, though, more um, not fixated. It's too strong of a word. But uh, whatever's less than fixated, you're the English major. Appreciative. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, focused on yes, um, the nationality of players and, and looking for more Americans to root for. Why is that? I mean, obviously our podcast is dedicated to that, and that's not just because I flipped a coin on what we were going to call <laughs> this thing and what we were going to do with it. But it, it is a passion. Maybe it's because I'm in the business. When I was in high school, I wasn't in the business yet. I was right. just a tennis player. Um but now that I'm in the business, both as a coach and now obviously a podcaster, um, maybe that's part of it, that I have a stake in our country growing and you know improving in tennis at every level, grassroots all the way to the top. So, you know. Well, that's... it makes me wonder if ESPN is the way that they're covering tournaments making us more that way, or was it the demand for the American players making ESPN cover tournaments that way? Because I remember for 20 Grand Slams in a row, it was always the Williams is erotic, and that was about the only matches you would see on TV. And then once they lost, it was like, okay, now we'll show some of the other people that are left. Right. Well, I think, first of all... Uh, and they're obviously catering to an American audience because they're American Well, but, but are they correct? They, right. They think that's what we want, but are they sure? And maybe, listen, maybe for the U.S. Open, 
enough casual fans who just want to see an American player. Oh, look, an American. Right, let's you root know, for them. America. Um, maybe. I don't know. But, I, but now I would say it's – I mean, the best player in the history of the game on the women's side <laughs> – get me started <laughs> – uh, is Serena, right. so obviously they're going to show her every time yeah. she's on. And now you got Federer and Nadal who are falsely claiming that title. <laughs> and they are they do show every minute of their matches now. Right, and so I think that's just ratings, and they're not American, obviously. Right. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I think you're, um, I think you're wrong <laughs> as usual. But no, no, definitely with Serena, and then back then Roddick probably right. because Federer was just you know because as Roddick kind of was in that transition period after Agassi and Sampras. Then we had, you know, some of the, you know, Federer wasn't Federer yet. Well, he was Federer, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. But yeah, it just, a buddy of mine mentioned that to me. He, was, he, he just remembered thinking that we didn't used to care that much because there were a lot of, I, I know what it was. The greatness was at such a depth right. that you could watch so many players and see, you know, some great, great tennis and anybody was a threat to win uh, a Grand Slam. Anyone was a threat to finish at the top of the rankings. Well, and this tournament was definitely thin, so you didn't have that many options of people to watch high-level, you know, obviously not high-level Americans on the men's side, but you had Federer at all and Sharapova, and the star power outside of that was pretty limited early in the tournament. And then as it picked up, obviously people gained steam, and more people wanted to watch Keys and Stevens and Vandeweghe and those girls. But in the beginning, I don't know the popularity is there for them. Not yet. Um, I think... I think it does. I think the answer is, uh, even though you've just basically ignored the question and forgot <laughs> what I was saying, but I do think the answer is maybe I, I feel like the success of professional American tennis is tied to the success of the health of our game in, right. in this country in general. Because you see four Americans in the final four uh, on the women's side, and you're like, okay, well, women's tennis is healthy. Right. What about the men? Query, you know, yeah. uh-huh. one amazing match and then a dud after that, and then you know, yeah, Isner completely gave away his match. Yep, had a chance to get into the quarters pretty easily, and and lost very meekly. And then I mean, Sock lost early. We said that last week, so there, was, right. there wasn't yeah. even anybody that was even competing. <laughs> we had a, yeah, we had a tournament a week ago. I mean, a, a podcast a week ago. Know what was going to happen with some of these players? <laughs> so well, so the weakest. You know, um, as you, on the men's side, the the easiest path yeah, so in he thirty played, years or something. Yeah, he said? played no top twenty players in the entire tournament, which is which is pretty hard to do. And he was on the quote unquote strong side, right? So the bottom side was a shit show. I mean, right. That thing fell apart <laughs> quickly in a hurry. Even the ones that were in it that were good in the beginning didn't make it deep. Oh man, Kyrgios, Monfils, Chilich, Chilich, Zverev. Either Zverev, but the yeah. younger one in particular. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it just wasn't good. No, it wasn't. And, and and some of the matches weren't even competitive. It was, you know, if you had really competitive close matches that were hard fought, and you go, okay, this guy really battled and got there, which Del Potro did against team. He earned that match and and that. But that, well, that was in the other half. But still, we didn't have feel like you had guys really earning it even when they got there. It was like, oh. That match was the best match of the tournament on the men's side. Right. Uh, and it was it, part of the reason why it was the best match is because the Argentine was physically struggling. Oh yeah, and the crowd brought him back. And the only reason the crowd brought him back is because he was in the best stadium on that facility. <laughs> is that was that Armstrong? No, it was Grandstand. Grandstand. So that is a ovalish shaped. It's okay. got a roundy ovalish thing. It's got kind of like a 
like almost like a sale going yeah. around. It's a weird deal, but um, and what is it? A couple thousand? I don't know, but it's not. It's one bowl yeah. level, like one level up, and um, even standing. And it's got a walkway going all the way around, so you can stand up against a railing behind the top row and look, and you can actually see the players. They're right. not ants. They look like human <laughs> beings. When how many people do you think left that court after two sets? Gave up their seats to go watch something else. Probably none. Yeah, well, it, it well was because pretty, it's so nice. It was pretty packed, and it was you know two players that I think probably draw pretty well. Right. Delpo was his courts were packed. You could see it was amazing who was packed and who wasn't. And right. You could see um, the popular players because they just gravitated to. And, and hey, he's huge. And, well, you know, some would say good looking. What I didn't understand the day before that, uh, you know, the scheduled play came out. I saw that Del Potro and team were playing. I said, oh, well, that's going to be the night match on Ash for sure. And then I saw it was Federer and whoever, you know, played a nobody and won. I think it was Federer and uh, now I can't remember. Oh, Cole Schreiber. I think he just rolled over Cole right, Schreiber. Right. And I'm like, why does anybody want to see that? Because it's Federer. And then I don't know if the outcome would have been differently if it was on Ash because, like you said, that crowd definitely got him motivated to come back and win. Well, let me tell you. The difference between Grandstand and Author Ash is about, oh, 119 billion times. <laughs> Ash is a debacle of yeah. a stadium. It is a debacle. Let's see how many seats we can fit in a well, stadium. Well, first of all, here's the sound. Everybody hold on. Turn your radio down a little bit. Here's the sound you hear <laughs> nonstop during a match. And you can even hear that on TV. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So in and person, it's, it's got to be worse. And so basically what it is is, is the roof – basically catches everything and bounces it right back at you from every direction. And so... Yeah, so even if they're not talking right, right. before the point, you can hear it you know, echoing for five and, seconds. And you have 22,000 or 23,000 people, so it's pretty hard to get everybody to shut the hell up. Right. Well, you saw as it got to the end of the finals, they were having a hard time even playing points because people were yelling and talking now, and everything. Now, to be fair, you know, I don't want to kind of be untrue to who I am. I don't mind a little bit of rowdiness in right. tennis. I'll be honest with you. I, I think, I think I, I, you know, I have no problem with the stuffiness of Wimbledon and yeah. shutting your pie hole and everybody wearing white and and all that. But I also like the rowdiness of New Yorkers who really don't know a lot about hey, yo rock, you know, or whatever. <laughs> right. That's Philly, I guess. But whatever, you know what I'm saying. Right as uh, they're about to toss the ball in the serve or whatever. Yeah, whatever. I mean, maybe not that, but to some degree. But but hollering and, and carrying right. on and going, you know, cheering after, well into they're about to start getting ready for the next serve. You know, it's it's New York. It's supposed to be rowdy. It's you know the city that never sleeps. Yeah. Uh, and the stadium that's never quiet. Um, <laughs> and, and I, you know, I don't have to some degree. I don't have a problem with it. I just think that roof just messed everything up. Yeah, it just messed everything up, and it's disappointing because they, I mean, the 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 brainwashing that comes from USTA people is that that is the crown jewel of right. the tennis world. Oh yeah, what? What is the cubic zirconia <laughs> of the tennis world? It looks pretty, right. but it's a piece of shit. Yeah, I don't think anybody's sitting in the upper deck and going to say they're never, never going to forget that moment because it's just, like you said, it's not a great experience when you're that far up. What they should do is take the entire upper bowl, tear out all the seats, <laughs> and just put giant TVs like, all the way around like the Like AT&T Stadium. Like, Cow like where the Dallas Cowboys play. Now, I hate the Cowboys. <laughs> I'm not supporting Jerry Jones in any way. But uh, but yeah, something. Yeah. Just whatever, like man. Like a wraparound TV. Who cares? 
Who cares? It's it's a, it's awful. Yeah, and and the roof made it worse. Now I've got no problem with the roof. I like, uh, you know, now now that this is going on, I'm worried about any other roof that's about in the French Open getting one soon. Yeah, I think they're they're all four going to have one after yeah, this coming year. So um, by far, I guess the U.S. Open one so far out of the, out of the other two um, is the worst. It just yeah, but that's because their stadium's so stupid. Grandstand, grandstand is the highlight of that place. Yeah, and maybe new Louis Armstrong, which was under construction. Uh, maybe that's going to be intimate and whatever, right. but it looks like the... When it's going to have a roof too, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. But it looks like the steel girder things or whatever the hell you call those that come up are pretty high. Yeah. I'm like, oh, don't do this <laughs> to me. Well, and you and I, between the two of us, I'm sure have seen 500 Federer matches, but wasn't that the loudest you've ever heard fans cheer for the opponent when he played Del Potro? Well, yeah, because there were, I mean, every time they showed the stands, you saw the right, Argen- they were all in the upper deck. Well, the Argentinian soccer gear, right. you know, gear, uh, and then hollering in Spanish and waving. I just love that they showed some of them yelling, like it was, it was like while well, uh, one of them was getting ready to serve, and they just panned up to the stand. The guys are cheering and yelling, and it's like, how are these guys even serving with all that going on? Well, because. Uh, Every other sport can do it. So right. Get over yourself. And if it happens every point, I except, guess you do get used to it. Except golf. But right. Anyway, so grandstand was the highlight. I'll tell you. Uh, let me tell you another. So Del Potro, who else do you think would pack the house uh, on whatever court they were on? Well, besides the main court, you mean besides whatever Ash? anybody? Just throw who I'm. Well, I mean, obviously Sharapova and saw her Venus. Play, saw her play two points. <laughs> I did not. I did not profess my love to her. <laughs> Venus was obviously big, but they were on Ash the whole time, right? So you're thinking somebody that wasn't on Ash. Mm. I got three words for you, <laughs> Martina. Really, Martina Hingis, who ended up winning two events. It was a packed. She was on a smaller court that basically had stands on both baselines, like concrete yeah. with you know seat seating going up, and then had like maybe. Six rows, four rows, two rows, I can't remember, but just like four rows on either side, on the yeah. sideline. So it wasn't huge, but it was like standing hmm. rows deep yeah. behind the the sideline stands. It was packed. And let me tell you something. That girl can ball. All right. Well, and I was going to say, you know how many minutes of her they showed on ESPN? I, don't, I didn't see... A single minute. It, they showed a highlight today of her doubles. Let me tell you it. something. So she was on the court. She I watched her play um, Rebecca's favorite, Mladenovic. Yeah. Who's a pretty good player from right. last time I checked. Pretty good tennis player. I don't Top know where 20, she, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what she is at this moment, but, you know, still, obviously, somebody who's uh, contending on a regular basis. Um, and who else was Mladenovic playing with? Uh, some kind of Ova, and I can't remember. <laughs> well, and Safarova, maybe? Well, and also, Hingis played with some player that wasn't even that heralded. Like, I haven't really heard of her partner. Right. She still won. Yeah, she was uh, uh, Chan Yung Zhan or something yeah. like that. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Whatever it Whatever order they say it in. Definitely not. Our um, Chinese fans can write in and tell us. Call in. Um, so they were playing a doubles, uh, a women's doubles match, and she was by far the best doubles player on that court. Yeah. I mean, you know, the power wasn't quite there, but it didn't matter. I mean... Her serve was giving them trouble. Her return was staying, you know, she was right. staying at least neutral on every point on the return. And anytime her partner hit a good ball, she was all over the next one. She was putting balls away. The only way they could put balls away are blasting them at her, at Hingis's a partner, right. um, you know, or whatever. But yeah, it was, it was a distinct difference in doubles ability. Hmm. Yeah, well, it was and besides the fact that she's obviously just got amazing touch and talent. 
it's got to be a benefit to her that she can just practice doubles only while all these other ladies are playing singles and doubles. Yeah, she sure. can just do doubles only. Sure, you know, all year long. But she always played doubles. Yeah, you know. Right. So no. I mean, so in that regard, it's it's which is why she already knows how to do it. She doesn't have to transition. Right. And so, uh, but she, I mean, she was right in that era where you didn't need to play doubles. I mean, yeah. the money was big enough. Oh yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, she is just. I was so highly impressed. Um, and that was her twenty fifth Grand Slam win in this wow. tournament. Twenty four and twenty five. Wow. Of course, Martina probably has Martina Navratilova probably has fifty or sixty, but but still, Nengas has a long way to go. Yeah, and I mean, listen, um, that was in a different era for sure. Yeah. You're talking about not having to play, right. you know, uh, singles versus a time when you had to because of women's money back then. Well, you know, money in general, but women and also was, was nothing. But um, that was one of the high. That was actually not because I'm old and she's old. <laughs> she's almost my. She's 36, I think, is what I saw somewhere. Yeah, I think um, that sounds right. 36. And or so, that, but that's not why. Um, uh, it was definitely, it was definitely just an absolute treat. Just watching her play, um, and I think the most striking part was the difference in her level compared to everybody else on the court it, it was highly impressive well and she's kind of like well if you people used to joke about McEnroe like I bet of those 25 slams she's played with 20 different partners which tells you how amazing she is right she can win with all these different people yeah so she uh so the match I watched she played uh Pavla Chenkova who's also um, a top 20 or 30 right, player or was I don't know again I don't know exactly what they are right now but um still yeah and so it was it, that was I, I think outside of meeting Lendl that was probably the highlight for me is just seeing her because you're right on top of them. Yeah. I mean that that little court, um, you're right there. And I would think if you're into watching doubles, the U.S. Open's got to be like the place to go because it's always on the side court, so you can watch all the best doubles players really close. Yeah, it was uh, even, the, even the Bryans usually play on probably Grandstand or Armstrong, so you can they watch were them def- too. That was another. That was another time that the Grandstand was standing room only. You couldn't even hardly walk up the stairs. It yeah. was absolutely <laughs> packed for the Bryan brothers, uh, and they had to come back and win in the third, I believe, um, in that match. Yeah, uh, I know which I think it was seven five in the third. The, the one you're talking about, something like that, something like that. So. What a uh, he's tearing up. He was what a it deal. Was that emotional. Yeah. What a deal. What a deal. The <laughs> our country slam. Uh, aside from that horrific stadium, everything was all. <laughs> I thought you were going to say final. But. Well, that too. Listen, I, I mean, what what could you think of two disappointing endings to the damn tournament after? Never in both to be that disappointing. One or the other, I can you can normally have, but to have both finals be that disappointing. Well, here's what you had. You had a ton of great women's matches. Right. I think the women's uh, tournament carried the tournament. Oh, definitely. So they should have made more prize money this year than the men. <laughs> right. I'm serious. Until the final. <laughs> well, both of them sucked. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, but yeah, you did, the women's was definitely worse. So then you get to the final, and it was just highly disappointing. And even Keys, I mean, she was like tearing up, right. hugging her for like 19 minutes. <laughs> and, uh, and... It, clearly it was just all the emotion of like wow all the pressure and all the you know of getting here and being in a in my first grand slam final and that playing like absolute shit <laughs> ruining well, everything and i sort of joked with somebody this morning you know they're friends obviously so is that one of those deals that you're walking down the hall and you see sloan and she's like you know she just has a different walk now that she's beating you it's like you can't even make a joke anymore it's like hey remember when i beat you in that open final it's like a i feel like he's gonna see that every time she sees sloan steven's face 
that's kind of terrible losing to your friend. I'd rather lose a, to a stranger or to an enemy. To an enemy, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But, uh, yeah, and then the men's final. I mean, what are you going to do? Whoever won, it was it was like the Super Bowls back in the 80s and 90s. Whoever won the <laughs> NFC. Right. The NFC championship was the championship. And so on the men's side, whoever got through on that side, it was a done deal. And, well, and what I thought was going to happen after week one was that Federer was going to be in the final against a random player and kill him. And then he lost to Del Potro, and then it's so. Then I actually thought it might be more interesting, and then it all just rolled over the last two rounds. And he was sick. Yeah. So he basically was saying he was about to retire against team. Right. And then the crowd just pulled him out of it, and obviously it made all the difference. But what did he have left? And you could see he mustered. Everything. Well, that's what's amazing. He beat Federer after that match. I had no, I had no idea how that was going to happen. Right. And then he, you know, and he was able to muster one set. Right. You know, so, I mean, his forehand is huge, big serve, you know, and just a, a wily veteran, but uh, unfortunately d- couldn't bring his A game, uh, which who knows what could happen. I mean, Nadal's playing great, obviously, but. Well, I think it helped Nadal that he played Del Potro because Anderson plays very similar to Del Potro. So it was almost like he didn't have to change his preparation for two rounds. Right. The angle of the serve coming in similar because their height and, and all the big, that. And, yeah. But Anderson's forehand was way off. It was depressing. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. It wasn't. Because there were a couple moments in there where it was like, okay, if he does well this game, then this match is going to be interesting. And then he just would blow it. Well, I don't understand why he didn't make it. A, he didn't seem to make any adjustment. No, not that I on ever the saw. Fact that Nadal was literally out in the parking lot returning. <laughs> I said literally incorrectly, but I did it on purpose. Yeah, right. I literally did that on purpose. Um, <laughs> well, I he mean, did try he, to serve volley. It just didn't. Well, he was terrible at volleying. No, that's true. That's another thing that you just see these players. I mean, I think Hingis could have done a better job against Nadal. Well, here's what I was thinking about this. Seriously, would you have ever considered as a player doing a drop serve? I mean, he was that far behind the baseline. You, he could have fed a drop shot. And maybe he got an ace. I mean, he was that far back. I mean, he had to run 50, 60 feet. He, if he could do like the Mansoor Barami yeah, trick right. where he throws it up and swings his rag underneath and yeah. does a little, then maybe. But if he sees it coming, he's, he's still going to be able to get to it. Yeah, I mean, I, he was so far back. I felt like you had, like you said, you had to do something else. Well, if he just, you know, maybe kicked the serve in, gave him a little more time to get all the way to the net. Right. And then now he's in a position. I mean, listen, they, they don't do this. Well, so, they didn't, he didn't know that Nadal was going to be that far back either. I guess, I mean... He's looking at him well, before Well, no, but I mean, before, but I mean, the, before the match. You would think he would be able to plan that out before the match. But. Well, but, I mean, that's not a hard, you know, right. I don't know. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, if he could have kicked it in, l- less pace on the serve, giving him time to get on top of the net, and then giving himself a chance. Because return, I don't care who you are, trying to hit a passing shot with your ass touching the wall. <laughs> right. I mean... The lines people had against to get out a of the six way. foot eight person. The linesman had to get out of the way for his backswing, almost. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> and he did nothing. He tried to hit it harder. Yeah. Well, um, you know, when I knew that match was over, when, when I found out, out they the had, had played each other when they were twelve, because I knew it all was amazing since he was like twelve. And I said, "This is over," because Anderson's probably never beaten him since they were twelve. So, <laughs> like, don't even bother. So I felt uh, like that was just a match that he'd already lost going out. He tried to keep the positive emotion, which they talked about 5,000 times, like his fist pumping is so revolutionary. They were acting like, uh, yeah, and, it was a bit much. And it was every match they talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, the men's tournament was just an For- odd, <laughs> an odd, weird situation and ended as it should have with, right. with a dud. The women's match, it was really unfortunate how it ended because of everything that led up to it. 
great matches throughout and four Americans in the semis and then just well just, and if you're keys can you feel good about that tournament yeah you can even in the, even being that bad in the final yeah you can I mean it's still her first grand slam final I just think it's when you lose that badly in the final you're going to remember that more than making the final yeah I think so but you know what but then again I'd rather lose like that than seven six in the third Probably if it's as a player. Maybe. Nah, no. You want to you play your best and have a chance so you can walk away feeling like I did everything I could. She she, <laughs> that's what, she definitely didn't have that. No, she did nothing. <laughs> the the <laughs> opposite of whatever. I did everything I could. I did nothing I could. Um, so anyway. Well, aside from uh, all these wonderful tennis people um, or tennis players and coaches that uh, I was able to meet, I also met a couple other people. Yeah? I met a... Uh, a person who is in the business in a different arena in officiating as well as uh, uh, works uh, with uh, one of the sections, the USTA sections. Nice. And also a stand-up comedian <laughs> in uh, based in New York. We're going to have Jerry Seinfeld on the podcast? You know it. All right. You know it. Um, no, but this guy knows Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> as well as some other famous The people. man who knows Jerry Seinfeld is next. There we go. No, no, no. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I got some audio. All right. And uh, hopefully the audio will be good because uh, <laughs> that's what you're going to listen to. Right. right. That's what you're, you're going to hear when we come back. It's time to join the revolution. Go to our website, tennisrevolutionpodcast.com to get the latest episodes, email us your questions and comments, or give us show ideas. All right, we're back. We, uh, you know, we only spent half the podcast or the first segment of the podcast talking about the U.S. Open. Is that a fair representation of what this U.S. Open was? Based on the finals, yeah, I think it was more than enough. All right, fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. Well, while I was in, in town, uh, while I was in New York, um, I, uh, I ran into a couple people. Here's what's amazing. If, if you are a tennis person, now if you're a tennis player and you play in a certain area, um, it, it may not happen a, as much. But if you're in the tennis business, whether you're a coach at a, at a club or a college coach or, uh, or you know, volunteer with the USTA or whatever the case may be, you get to the US Open and I ran into so many people not so many. That's not a fair characterization. But I ran, <laughs> I ran into a fair amount of people, more yeah. than certainly I would have guessed, uh, in the middle of New York City, which I'm not from. Right. Never lived there. I yeah. uh, don't know hardly anyone. And that's not near where we are. Right. But then it dawned on me, oh, wait a minute. This is the biggest event, in, one of the four biggest events in the, well, maybe three. <laughs> do we, do we get, is it one, two, three, and then Australia's four all by itself? Probably, but whatever. Yeah, Australia's still kind of on their own. Yeah, but uh, but no, it's one of the four biggest events in our sport in the world. Right. And then certainly the biggest event in our country. And so the entire tennis world descends upon New York for two weeks. So I guess it's not as amazing. I ran into a lot of people, uh, but I ran into people from college, uh, ran into, huh. you know, um, former players that I coached, um, ran into some other coaches. Uh, well, not even the fact they're there, the fact that you actually see them because that, I mean, there's 50,000 people there a day probably. That's a good point as well. <laughs> that's a good point as well that it's, it's, 
It is mayhem. Yeah. The city sucks. <laughs> it smells like homeless people and pee. Yes. All right. All right. Um, it's filthy and disgusting. I didn't get mugged or murdered. Um, but you know, it's just, uh, it, it's a tough, tough city. I, yeah. worked, I walked about 719 miles and that was just to get to Starbucks every morning. Yes. Um, they don't have one every block like here. Yeah, they do. But oh. you know, I turn left and, oh, wait, I'm going up. I need to be going down because <laughs> I use my app to order it. Right. And then I, I, oh, I know where that's at. I don't follow the map like an <laughs> idiot. The number, the streets are numbered. It's fine. It's easy. <laughs> oh my God. What a disaster. Um, but no, two people uh, that uh, that I ran into, uh, one of which was staying in the same hotel, because I stayed in the tournament hotel in Manhattan. Nice. There's three tournament hotels, so um, none of the players, obviously. They're staying, <laughs> you know, whatever, 10 You star. mean just like all the officials and that kind just, of thing? I definitely, I, w- people. I will say that was one funny thing. I kept seeing a bunch of faces I recognized, and it took me a minute. And then, Oh, yeah, I've seen it on TV, in the chair. Nice. I, was, I saw a whole bunch nice. of, uh, of the uh, chair umpires um, that you see on TV all the time. Uh, I didn't yell at any of them. <laughs> I didn't offer to purchase them that, glasses or contacts. That was hard. What was harder, not yelling at them or not yelling to Maria? No, I was so far up in, <laughs> You're like she's not in, gonna see in me. Ash uh, that I did. I only saw her play. I went in so I could say I saw her play right. two points, yeah. and that was it. I uh, saw Nadal play a point or two in Ash, and that's it. I just wanted to say, hey, I saw them live. Right. Couldn't tell who they were or what they were playing. They could have been skateboarding for all I know. I was so far up there uh, when I peeked in. But uh, anyway, so... The first guy uh, that I ran into, and I did run into ladies too, but uh, none of them agreed to uh, <laughs> go back to my hotel room and record. Right. Um, hey, I want to show you my recorder. Got a camera here. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, no, no. Just a, just a recorder. Okay. So the first guy uh, is a guy named Darren Potkey, and he uh, I, I, ran, I first met him. Uh, he was officiating um, our national tournament. He was the head referee for our national tournament. Um, NCAA uh, Division Three National Tournament, and so um, he agreed gracefully because he's busy running around doing a lot of stuff. He's actually there on USDA business, uh, not just to have fun and watch. And uh, and so I ran into him, and he was nice enough to take uh, take a little bit of time, sit down with me, and get some audio. So uh, take a listen. All right, we are here in New York City, so not just to hang out and have fun, although I am doing some of that. But we're also at the U.S. Open, and just the city is a buzz with the U.S. Open. It's a buzz anyway, but it's a buzz. I'm walking around. You see USTA stuff everywhere. You see all kinds of tennis people. And so as opposed to grab a homeless man off the street, I decided to grab somebody who's a tennis person off the street. And, uh, and so we, he agreed to sit down a little bit and, uh, and just chit-chat about the U.S. Open, just other things, and uh, kind of maybe get his perspective. So we have... The, I think I think we need to put the in front of his name. I think, yeah, the Darren Potkey. So he is the executive director of the USTA Georgia office there, and uh, he is also a uh, or the head referee for the uh, NCAA Division Three national tournament every year. Uh, is that it? I know there's more. What else? What else are you doing? Um pretty involved with the ITA and their officials leadership and all the education and teaching uh, still do the orange bowl as the deputy referee still supervisor of a couple other ITF events. And my most important job of course is father to my three children. I have two, three-year-old twins and a one-year-old that uh, there's definitely some refereeing when it comes to that as well. 
scoring points at home, and he's not even there. That's a veteran move. So now you also played college tennis. Is that right? Where did you play? I did. I played at UC Santa Barbara. Our mascot is the Gaucho. It's a Mexican cowboy, for those of you in Rio Linda. Um, okay. Uh, inside joke, that must be California on California crime. Now, are you a Cali boy? Pretty much. I mean, I grew up in New England, a big Patriots fan, a model this season, of course. All right, this is over. This interview's over. Uh, no New England fans. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, so you grew up in New England. When did you move to Cali? I moved when, we were, when I was 12. Uh, wasn't my decision, of course, but I spent almost 30 years out there. So, yes, I guess by time you'd say that I'm mostly Californian. Now, would you, did you start playing tennis in Cali or had you played in New England? Is there even tennis in New England? Uh, there is. Uh, anyone's listening, make sure we, we put that out, that there is tennis. Uh, but, no, I actually didn't play tennis. I was more of a soccer player uh, in New England. Boo. Yeah, but uh, when... Uh, when I moved to California, yeah, started, the weather was a little better, a lot more courts, a little more sunshine, not the indoor bright lights. And so I started playing tennis a little bit. I was lucky that where we moved had a really good, uh, local community organization that kind of got me started and for better or for worse, I'm here with you today. For you, probably worse for me better. Uh, so you started playing basically in a public setting. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I started when I was 12. So obviously probably on the later side from what most the kids that are playing the juniors here and a lot of our better uh, college and junior players, but uh, had to do some catch up real quick, worked pretty hard. And yeah, I mean, I, I got everything that I wanted out of being a player. It was great. It was great playing at a great school and our team ended up uh, doing pretty well. And we got to the last 16 of the team one year, which um, is we're the only team I think in our school's history to do that. Um, and so that was really exciting. And uh, some of our guys played, you know, lower level professional tennis. One of them ended up playing Davis Cup for his country. Um, just some great guys to be around. So college tennis was a great experience for me. As it is for most. So uh, you played as a youth all the way up through college. And now you are working in a bunch of different capacities in tennis. Well, with everything you do in all your official capacities, is it hard to still be a fan sort of now that you see how the sausage is made, so to speak, or are you still a big fan? Yeah. I mean, given all the, what I've done over the years and, and actually was part of putting on a professional ATP event for a while when we were in LA. So I know some of the back scenes of professional tennis, uh, but no, I think it's, I mean, it's great to be a fan. I mean, you know, if you ask my wife, I mean, we, we watch a lot of matches. We're trying to get our kids to watch, uh, hopefully they'll become officials. In fact, one of my three-year-olds uh, made a correct uh, overrule Hawkeye decision <laughs> on TV the other day. She was excited about that. Not sure she knew what she was doing. Um, but no, it, it's we're, you know you have to be a fan. I mean, especially at an event like this or, or professional tennis, so exciting, so many great athletes, and so great to see some of the Americans finally, hopefully, starting to break through. It's been a while, and you got to be patient with them. And hopefully, this is start of their time to do that. So just so you know, um, out there in Fanland, um, he does literally everything. And really, he's going to shake his head no, but he knows everything. Like He just comes up with tidbits when I'm standing around him out of nowhere. Out of, and I'm like, what? I mean, I barely know how to tie my shoe compared to everything that he comes up with. So he is still a fan. And 
in, in particular, when you come here to New York in the buzz, not just in the city, but obviously at the tennis center, you know, the, the, the attendance is out of control. It's out of control uh, with the city, of course, because this place is, you know, a hellhole. But, <laughs> but also, but no, the U.S. Open is just overrun with people. And, uh, and I think this city uh, and, the, and the tournament meld so well together. You can't help but go over there, watch all the action, be around it all, and not just be drawn into it. Yeah, we're lucky in the U.S. We have some great professional tournaments. Uh, you know, certainly Indian Wells, if you've been there, it's a fantastic event. Certainly has its own vibe. Uh, but I'm not sure the U.S. Open would be the U.S. Open anywhere but New York City. It's just something about the city, the energy. Uh, USTA has put a lot of resources into upgrading uh, the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. Um, obviously we'll have a new Armstrong stadium next year with a roof. And I mean, I've seen the architect, uh, models. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, the new grandstands great. Obviously Arthur Ashe stadium speaks for itself now with the roof. I mean, what an, un, what, what an amazing wonder just to look at. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a fantastic event we have a lot of great events. Cincinnati's another great event. Uh, even like the Houston clay court event is its own. Everyone has its own unique little vibe. The, the Volvo car open in Charleston is a, is a great event, but you know, the U S open is the U S open and it, 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 it's the perfect place to have it. New York city. Yeah. Every, at the beginning, about a week or so leading up to every slam, we do a little preview show and, I get hyped up for different reasons, and all of a sudden, that one's my favorite for some reason. Because you get hyped up about what's coming. Uh, you know, whether it's the sunshine and kind of coming out of the doldrums of no tennis for Australia, or, you know, the, the sophistication and culture of the French Open, uh, or the stodgy, but yet, traditions of our game at Wimbledon. But then, when you get to New York, you get to the U.S. Open, and, you know, I'm American, damn it. And that tournament, if there's anything that's American in this game, in this international sport, it's the U.S. Open. And I think it's the best slam. Now, cover up the USTA logo on your shirt and tell me, is the U.S. Open your favorite slam by how far, really? Well, it's the only one I've been to, so, and it's the only one I've worked uh, on as far as official. But uh, So it has to be my favorite. I haven't been to the other three, although... Um, certainly would love to get to Australia at some point. That's kind of our, one of our goals. Um, you know, the French certainly is its own unique event, but you know, every slam is very special for a certain reason. And, you know, part of the specialness of New York is the chaos and the craziness and how the city and the fans, basically the energy lifts that stadium almost off the ground. I mean, there is nothing like being in Arthur Ashe stadium at night when the crowd, uh, erupts. I mean, it's my wife's done quite a few matches as a line umpire on stadium. She's worked three U.S. Open finals, and she will tell you that there is nothing like that sound out there. Um, it's it's just a unique event, you know. Like I said, we're blessed with a lot of events here, and you know, from a hometown perspective, being in Atlanta, you know, the BB&T Atlanta Opens, we've had a great relationship with with UST Georgia helping those guys. That's a great event as well, and it's a very unique environment as well. But yeah, I mean, there's there's no question the the best grand slam is the u.s open and and you know we're obviously going to say that because we're american but but it, it's just a fantastic event well i think part of it is we're you know our stereo some of the stereotypes is we're brash we're bold we're maybe a little overconfident so is this tournament uh so is this city 
but uh, but I think it's got a lot to back it up. Are there any other tournaments in the U.S. approaching the sort of wild scene down there um, at the U.S. Open? No, not even close. Maybe Miami, um, especially when uh, the South a South American player is doing well. That tends to bring out uh, an interesting crowd in Miami at night. Uh, I would say at the top of my head, that's probably the only thing that would even come close. And it, honestly, it's not that close. But um, it, as far as any um, uh, U.S. event, I, maybe Miami with that South American flair um, would be close. Pretty much. Is there any sense that you think that's a good thing? Or do you think we should get more wild at more of our tournaments in the U.S.? Well, I think the tours would love to see, you know, a lot of fans and the tournaments would love it as well. I mean, you know, professional tennis on the economic side is sometimes a hard business to be in, particularly at the lower levels of the tours, like the 250 levels and even the 500 level, Washington being a 500. I mean, they're, you know, it's a lot of this is summer events. It's hot. It's hard to get people there. So, uh, yeah, I think as long as it's done somewhat respectfully, I, I don't see that being a negative at all. I think it'd be something that the tournaments would be thrilled about to get their stands filled. Yeah, that's that's something that as a as a tennis fan and a coach in college that I go back and forth with because college is can be a wild scene. But there is a line, you know, and I think as a traditional tennis person and still having this being a lady and gentleman's game that you you push that line and you worry about losing some of that. Um, Is that college flavor something you think maybe if we could get that that, you know, crossover at the pro events? Is that sort of what you're thinking about? Yeah. um, You know, the ITA, the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, which I do some uh, a lot of volunteer work for on the officiating side. I mean, that's one of the things that on the on the official side training that we're trying to get across to our officials is that, you know, uh, when there's a lot of spectators, it it's not necessarily a negative. Yes, you have to control more and have be more cognizant, but it can really be a positive with the with the environment. And, you know, now the IT is very much stressing that that noise from one court can often occur while another point is being played in another court. And that is part of the dual match environment. It's actually in the rule book this year to try to, to try to clarify it for folks. So, um, you know, again, it, it, anytime you have a a full stadium, uh, and the fans are engaged and, uh, whether it's because one player or a great match or what have you, I, I don't see how that can be a negative for our sport. Yes. We'll have a few folks, uh, push back a little bit because of the traditional traditionalist. That's probably not even a word. Hopefully Scrabble, it's a decent score there of it. But, you know, I, it's probably worth the risk, shall we say, to move the sport forward because that's that's the way a lot of sports are now. Well, the, the line for me is this. I don't care how worked up you get. I don't care how wild you get. If it's all directed at yourself and or your team, as in the college setting, or if you're in a, in a professional match towards your box or towards the fans in a, in a positive way, yelling and, and carrying on. But, but the question that needs to be asked and answered affirmatively is, if your opponent asks you if you saw a ball that you hit out, you say, yes, it was out if you clearly saw it out. I think you can be a maniac on the court – 
but then be a lady or a gentleman and play by fair rules. And I think that's really the line. If you're pointing at somebody's face that's on the other side of the net or trying to cheat or get over on somebody within the rules, then that's, I think, where the draw. But all the wildness and hollering and maybe even some cartwheels, whatever. I don't know what we do out there. I think all those things are good things. Is that something from an official standpoint or a referee standpoint that would kind of make the difference for you? Yeah, I would love to see cartwheels on clay. That's... (laughs) That would be a, hopefully that person doesn't fall or have a mess on our hands. But yes, I mean, and, and I think from the professional side, that's been one of the great things about electronic review or, you know, Hawkeye uh, is the fan involvement, getting the fans fired up about it, but also the closure it brings. Um, obviously, the professional tennis, the players aren't making their own calls. So it's a little different than in college tennis. But with electronic review, it's, it's really provided closure, you know, uh, uh, the decisions made it's done it's whether it's right or not is kind of irrelevant uh, because the Hawkeye system can at times be somewhat inaccurate depending on the calibration Uh, but the players accept it the fans accept it the officials accept it and let's move on and so you know if if there's anything that's that's positive because of that and the other thing obviously it's really shown that especially on the line umpire side at the highest professional events these guys are pretty good I mean, they're 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 making correct decisions on millimeters on balls, and um, yes, they do make mistakes. Everybody's going to make mistakes. My wife told me I've already made three today, but uh, I mean that's another you know side benefit that us officials have seen. It's really shown how what quality uh, officials that we have out there doing these matches. I would say four mistakes today. Sitting down with me is she? She doesn't know about that one yet. Uh, no, no, I, I agree with you on the officials at the highest levels. I'm glad you uh, added that uh, caveat, um, and that's all I'll say about that because uh, I still have to use officials. Um, yeah, the uh, the officials, uh, you know, making the call. So for those out there that don't know, in, in the vast majority of college matches, uh, you at least have one roving official, and the players on the six courts for singles make their own calls and can appeal uh, to the on-court uh, referee uh, or official um, for an overrule. And you know, there's some other things, various things that they can that the official can call out at random. But bottom line is, players call their own, and so when you get into the gentlemanly question uh, or the lady question. Was that out? Yeah, obviously, there's not a team of uh, officials on court. That's when you need. All right. So you are going to get over to the U.S. Open tomorrow, maybe? Yeah, I'm hoping to. I mean, I'm here as, as, as with my, you know, full-time job. So there's a whole bunch of meetings and other events that I have to be at. And that of course is first priority as much as I love the tennis, but yeah, hoping to be out there. And and honestly, I really like watching the juniors, Uh, even the junior qualifying out in the park for one, you don't need a ticket. It's free, which is really nice. Uh, But it's really, it's really great to see those kids out there battling for a spot in the main draw. And um, it's just, it's a really cool thing to see. So if the times that I've been out to the open, that's usually where I like to be is sitting under a tree or standing under a tree um, watching a junior qualifying match. I think that's that's part of the, it's played out in the park, as you know. It's kind of the essence of public park out there. I mean, it's, it's as public as you can get. Yeah, I always talk about how one of the best things to do at any pro tournament across the country is go watch qualifying. Obviously, you're talking about the juniors, but it, it's fun to sort of see who's coming next. And five years from now, you're going to be, I saw that kid, you know, playing on court 19 in the middle of a park. Uh, and now here they are, a top 50 player in the world. It's, it's kind of like discovering Pearl Jam 
you know, back in, you know, 84 before anybody knew who they were. So that, that's always inter- interesting uh, uh, way to, to go about it. want me to put it in we can if you I mean this is no gotcha journalism here so no no so now for a guy who sees knows and does everything in this game I mean first of all the biggest thing I take away from this interview is that people he saw the architecture the draw of the who's seen out there in the world who's the who's the president of the USTA who cares he obviously has seen the architectural Drawing. All right, we'll reset that. No, 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 it's fine. I'll edit that out for sure. My point was I don't care about who the president is. Yeah. All right, so the biggest thing we need to take away from this interview, aside from your expansive knowledge, everything you've seen and done, but the most important aspect anybody needs to understand is that people, Mr. Potkey, the Darren Potkey, has seen the architectural drawings of the roof coming on the second roof in the U.S. Open. Uh, that's who, Who's seen that? I mean, the Secret Service, maybe. The New York uh, City Police, who knows? I don't know. The president of the USTA, probably, probably. But also, Podkey has seen it. That's incredible to me. Now, with that breadth of uh, wisdom and knowledge and experience in this in this game that allows you to see the architectural drawings of the second roof before anybody, or at least before me, my next question is going to put you on the spot. I need one thing, clear, concise, maybe, maybe a little crazy, maybe a little out there, maybe a little dangerous. Give me one thing that you would do to change American tennis for the better, aside, get me out of it? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, I was junior comp player development person for Southern Cal for a long time before I came to Georgia. And, you know, players like Sam Query, Steve Johnson were players in our section, watched them grow up. Um, But having been involved in all sorts of different levels of tennis, and we're strictly talking professional here, we're not talking about grassroots, um, I would like to see the United States have more entry-level pro circuit events. And we've already started. I want to uh, tip my cap and congratulate uh, the USTA and particularly Stephen Armitrage and folks for the Collegiate Series Futures events that have started. Um, you know, our players need a way of getting into either the ITF junior circuit easier or the professional circuit easier without uh, spending as much dollars and time away from home in terms of overseas. Um, and so I, I would like to see that we're already, we're down that track. I think it's a good one. We're already starting to see some, you know, positives of that. Uh, but to me, the players develop and learn what it's really like to be a pro at the pro circuit level. We've got some great supervisors out there that, are out there doing their job, enforcing the rules, but they're also educating the players. So, hey, when you're here playing a $25,000 event, you know, when you move up to the ATP level, we're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior. And, or, you know, here's a few, not tips, but, you know, make sure you understand the entry processes and you can't be in two cities in, in the world in the same week, or you can't accept a wild card here. Um, you know, as many easier paths to at least get their foot in the game and their name on the computer to start that track uh, is a good thing. And, and we have, and we're starting to see some results, but we need more. 
we need more of those events there. And the problem is they're not cheap, as you know. I mean, I believe if memory serves me correct, you had run one of those low level, lower level events. Um, and so there's a lot of logistics and a lot of, of time and money, but I think it's money well spent. The main purpose of this podcast is to basically tell everybody in tennis what they're doing wrong and that I hate them. One of the one of the side of, uh, benefits of talking to Mr. Podkey is that uh, he beats some of that out of me a little bit as he talks. And I think that is definitely one thing that the USTA really can do very effectively is provide the, that calendar, maybe even provide some support for the, the people running those uh, tournaments and and then ultimately build that structure and then all the free market people coaches all across the country can help fill it in with players uh so hey you made me like the usta a little bit better today i'm glad to hear that and from a selfish i put my officiating hat on obviously it's more opportunities for our our the next generation of supervisors to work their chair empires you know and, and i'm that's part of reason why too i think we want to do that the selfish part but there really is a player benefit to it so but again it costs money so it it can't happen overnight but i think we're on the right track we need to keep that going well i I tell everybody all the time trying to give them lots of different ways to go enjoy this sport whether it's go watch their local division one or even division two or three or juco i mean there's really good tennis out there everywhere and if you're a three five league player guess what they're better than probably what you've seen or experienced so it's worthwhile uh but also support it financially in every aspect that you can uh because you're right exactly right that the resources need to be there um and the grassroots is going to you know work from the other end to help do that but uh well listen i'm gonna let you get out of here i'm sure you got a lot of usta tennis saving to do um so uh i was really appreciate you sitting down with us and always appreciative of the tidbits and the knowledge and the nuggets that you that you bring, give to me on or off the air so good to see you thank you well thanks coach make sure i spell your name right i'll send that check to you but uh good luck good luck to you this season no impropriety here people all right thank you uh, there you go so it's hard to tell whether he likes me or not but you know <laughs> he, he's very uh, affable so he faked it like he did um so darren appreciate you uh taking some time and uh and i'm sure we'll see you again sometime maybe next year's u.s open yes this will be a yearly visit for you now the next guy that um i didn't actually run into him i texted him <laughs> so as i characterized him semi-famous yes uh, and he agreed with that actually the coach runs in celebrity circles there we go semi-celebrity circles um but no, if you remember, I don't know how many podcasts ago, I mentioned when I, I was in Austin, I went to go see a stand-up comedian and gave him a tennis lesson. Right. Uh, he's a huge tennis fan. He's from New York, or he's not from New York, but he's been in New York for 10 years or more, uh, and he performs in New York, but also around the world, actually. And um, and he's a huge tennis fan, goes to the Open, watches it, and so I thought, you know what? Let's get a perspective of somebody who's in the city, who's from the city, uh, living here in the middle of this mayhem, and uh, and and how you know the whole tournament fits into their life, and both being uh, a spectator live as well as on TV, and just kind of living in the same city. I'm I'm a little jealous because I'm a Steelers fan. <laughs> I don't live in Pittsburgh. Right. I don't live near the stadium <laughs> where my team plays. I live actually 
near a stadium where a dumb team plays, <laughs> a team that I quite frankly um, I hate. Yes, uh, and that'd be the Cowboys. A big rival team, right? So it's almost you know the same kind of thing where if you live in the in the in the city where a major tournament is, even if it's not the U.S. Open, even Indian Wells or right. Miami or whatever, it's like. You drive by the stadium. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah. Well, and with New York being so hectic, does it even get any busier during that tournament, or is it just always like that? You know what? It's funny. Um, the city, first of all, that is the largest annual sporting event in terms of attendance right? ever in it's the almost, world. Isn't it almost like a million people a year? Or pretty close. Or more. Yeah. I don't know. It's mayhem. But the city does so much on so many fronts that this is just another thing it absorbs. You can't tell. I mean, right. I always say that if you're two blocks over and a crane falls off a building and crashes to the ground, <laughs> you, you'll you never know unless right. you happen to walk past that block yeah. or you see people running. Um, it, it, yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, that city is amazing. Um, because even like here, as you were saying, the Cowboys, they have a game. I mean, unless you're in that immediate area, you're not really noticing. But in that area, you're, it's totally crazy and right. traffic and everything. In basketball, right. in downtown, hockey in downtown, you know, it, it, no, the city absorbs all of this. And the, and listen, the roads suck so bad, <laughs> right. and there's always like cones and tra- it's always just, you have no idea what the hell you're doing anyway when you're there. Right. And so it, none of it makes sense, so it looks no different around in and around the stadium uh that's not true it does look different well, probably the subway's obviously busier i'm sure and all that only one car only one <laughs> one route the seven train yeah. really the one that goes out to um it goes right in between old shea which is now city field uh, where the mets play and then literally the other side same stop is uh the tennis center but uh yeah that's a good question because it's like uh, I'm, I'm getting here i'm wide-eyed you right. know f- you know fresh-faced <laughs> uh country boy uh in the city not really but <laughs> uh, you know but it's like wow everybody's got to be you know just a buzz about right. this tournament all over the city nobody gives a shit <laughs> only tennis people right uh, we talked about it that a little bit with this next guy um and again you may have remembered him from uh episode gone by where, where uh, i gave him a tennis lesson um, but, uh, but anyway, uh, sat down with, uh, Joe list for a little while and, uh, had a chance to ask him about, uh, about tennis, about the city. Um, so take a listen. All right. So we've, uh, had a lot of big time tennis people who know a lot of stuff about this game, but that bores me. So I have somebody who knows literally nothing about tennis we, would that be fair to say? That is unfair to say. I know a lot about tennis. I know how to keep score. I know how to play a little bit, and uh, I'm a big fan. Now, if you thought that little bit of uh, audio was funny, there's a reason for that. Because I am with semi-famous. Is that rude? Uh, I would say, yes, yeah, semi-quasi-famous. I'm like second-round famous. Second-round famous. Uh, he is a stand-up comedian, and... I'm not kissing up to him because uh, I already got him here, so he's stuck. Uh, one of my favorites, one of my favorites, uh, uh, stand-up comedian Joe List, based out of New York here, and where he is is exactly why I have him here because he is a Mister All About New York, including all about the U.S. Open. And uh, and when I heard him say that on his podcast, I said, "Dude, I got to contact him." Uh, do you remember my first email? And was it slash a little creepy slash, oh, wait, this is a tennis guy and I love tennis. Um, I think I remember the first one. You asked me to send nude photos. Um, 
Kidding. Uh, no. Yeah, I remember you offered to give me tennis lessons. I took them and it was great. It was really fun. You're the only person I've ever met up with on the road that I didn't know. That's a big compliment. And uh, now I feel like I know a lot about tennis. I feel like I'm, a t- I'm, I'm hurt by the original tennis. Knows nothing about tennis. I'm very hurt. Well, I was just trying to set up a, a, a you know, a premise here uh, that you're ruining. Uh, no, no. So, yeah. So, he was performing in in my home state of Texas, and I saw that he was doing that. Now, really, I was just trying to score free tickets, which, incidentally, you did not provide. I apologize, but I'm here now doing a podcast. This is even better. That's an excellent point, because content is king. No, no. But uh, on a serious note, but not a serious note, because he's a stand-up comedian, so... Uh, he is a tennis fan, but doesn't have a lot of experience playing tennis. And as it, for everybody out there who's been listening to the podcast, that's something that always fascinates me because I've been doing both forever. Uh, but after being here in New York, seeing the buzz, being over to the tennis center, seeing all the buzz and just the mayhem going on that's surrounding that whole scene, I can see why you dig it. Uh, now, have you been to the U.S. Open this year? I have. I've been to it a bunch. I mean, to me, it's weird. I mean, people are sports fans, but not tennis fans. To me, sports is one general thing. People physically competing under a rule book. Um, so to not like tennis is strange. I've always loved it. And uh, the U.S. Open, I go every year. I went last night. I went and saw Federer play a five-set classic. Maybe not a classic, but it was a great match. And I started from a suite on the baseline. I was right next to Chris Fowler. It was pretty unbelievable. I told you he was semi-famous, didn't I? He gets a suite. That's pretty big time. So I agree with you on sports. Uh, It's hard for me to tell outside of the ring of, you know, I'm in tennis first, so that's my first ring, and then every other sport comes out from there. Um, My favorite sport is actually tennis. A very close second is hockey. Uh, And so where where is tennis in your ranking? Give, Give me your top however many to get down to tennis. Uh, it's hard. I mean, I like the, I love, I probably like tennis more than I like basketball. That's for sure. I love whatever sport I'm watching. I love the most Hockey's my favorite sport. Um, I like tennis more than I like golf, baseball and football is tough while I'm watching a football game. I'm like, this is the best tennis I love. It, it, it's hard. Uh, it's up there. It's in the top four, I guess it's above basketball along with the other three major team sports. So top four, I'll say. I'll take it. Top, top four is good. I mean, we're talking about a sport that in the world is the second most popular sport in the world, but in the U.S., it's about 119. I did not know it was the second most popular sport in the world, but that's why I guess Europe is dominating us and all the world really right now. Yeah, we're struggling. We're struggling, which is as the listeners of this podcast, which hopefully you will be now that you're on it, you self-centered son of a bitch. Uh you know, the, the idea of this podcast is for American tennis primarily. We talk about everything, but, you know, my passion is to really help shed some light on this game for people out there uh, like you that maybe have some interest in it, don't know a lot about, but, you know, this is the podcast will be a go-to place. So now hockey, big fan of that. But I think one of the big draws for any of the sports like that, the team sports, the major sports, uh, is the city that you're from you know you're a dirtbag new englander so you like all those awful new england teams is that the case i would say extremely successful new england teams um patriots have won five super bowls in the last whatever 14 years um but yes i love all of them boston bruins won the stanley cup 2011 you remember celtics won in 08 and the red sox have won three times in the last 13 years so it's a very successful area and uh i love all of them deeply and i hate everybody that says anything negative about them 
This podcast is over. I'm going to kick this guy's ass real quick. I don't know. He's wiry. I might not be able to. Uh, the biggest thing about tennis that's tough, for, particularly for American fans, is we don't have a city to rally around like we do with our team sports. And furthermore, we don't really even have an American player on the men's side. And the women, I mean, let's face it, we have one player and her sister who's sort of a little bit behind her, and that's it. Does that matter to you? Do you get into American players, or are you just a fan of the uh, beauty, the art of tennis? It, it matters, I guess. I mean, it definitely makes a difference for most people. I mean, I love the sport anyways, so I enjoy watching it, but it would definitely be nice if we had an American. I tell you, though, that uh, fellow the other day, Francis uh, Tiafo. I mean, that guy seems like he might be the future of American tennis, but it's also weird with tennis. Sometimes you have a match where you're like, like, remember... Um, what is her name? Melanie Udan. Udin. Do you remember her? She had that crazy Cinderella run. I was like, this woman's the future of tennis. And I'd never heard her name again since then. That was 09 or whatever. Uh, I know my tennis. Um, but yeah, hopefully uh, Francis will be the future. And then this year, the tournament's wide open for these Americans. Isner and Query. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely want there to be an American. And then when I was a kid, the Americans kind of dominated a little bit with Agassi and Sampras. It would make a difference, I think, for you know, pedestrian non-fans, but I don't know. Um, I forget what the question was, but yeah, I root for the Americans. I want an American to win. Yeah, I think also Serena dominated for so long that people just become blasé about it. They just go, or whatever, and she's on steroids. Wow. She, uh, God bless her, she literally just had a baby today. You animal. And... As far as Udan goes, uh, you may have uh, not heard for, from her for a while, but oddly enough, she just retired within the last week. I got a text. Um, now, what if you, what if you had some, uh, you know, Southie kid? I uh, can't do an accent. I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying. What if you had some Southie kid coming up? Would you be, would you and your city be out of your mind? Because listen, I've had some success. You have five Super Bowls. You don't have quite six like Pittsburgh does. And I don't remember when the last time Boston won a Stanley Cup because the Penguins won the last couple. Um, and so I've kind of been blinded. Um, the Pirate. Oh, never mind. Um, and the Pittsburgh Pisces. That's our basketball team, if you remember that movie. It, it's a movie from the 70s. It's not real. Uh, so if some Southie kid, I don't even know what Southie means. I've just heard it on TV. But if some Boston kid, would your whole city get behind him and be a little more kind of fired up and hyped up about it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, it would light the uh, imagination and excitement. I mean, we had Tiger Woods, which got everyone playing golf. It revolutionized golf. Everyone started playing. So you kind of need that for tennis. And we have four of the best players of all time. I mean the number one and two players of all time, it seems like to me, playing, maybe Djokovic top three, I mean, as athletes keep progressing, so you have the best tennis players ever playing, um, but I don't know how much difference, it, I don't know what the numbers are, if it's going up or down or getting less excited, but certainly a Boston kid would be amazing, especially from Southie. I just imagine him going, I'm playing a kid named Query, dude. Um, but yeah, I hope there's something, but I think we talked about it before, it feels like most of the athletes from America go play basketball. It's the same issue with soccer and tennis where uh, the best athletes are playing basketball and football. No, that's for sure. Um, 
soccer is growing faster than we are. I think it's picking up more steam because it's easier to get into. It, you, you throw 22 kids out there with one ball, and they can run around like maniacs, and they're doing good. With tennis, as you have seen, you know, we went out to the courts. I gave you some pointers. It's, it's not just a pickup, and I can do it well immediately, although my tutelage, I mean, come on, it, you did pretty great. How do you feel about your, uh, your game at this point? I feel great. I show them the label. I roll the wrists and I check the time. Uh, I know what I'm doing out there. But the other thing is, I know people have said it. It's annoying. But the scoring is also people just see it and go, ah, that's Greek to me. I can't figure that out. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. And I think to your point about athletes in America going to play the major four sports because they're way more popular is also something. I mean, I go out and recruit for college tennis and it's hunting and pecking through, uh, you know, a small group, whereas my baseball coach at our school, he goes out to a field and there's a sea of people playing baseball. He'll never get to all of them. And and so you see that difference. So for me, you know, that's why I sit down with you is really aside from you're, you're semi famous. So I'm going to maybe get an autograph, which is like your first name and maybe last initial, maybe. Uh, but but it, I like sitting down with you, and, and it got me excited that you were excited about tennis because anybody that shows some sort of level of you know um, excitement about this game, I want to push out there as much as possible also and give them as much as I can to keep fanning the flames. Um, so hopefully I've, I've done that. I got you here. Yes. Well, maybe I can be uh, a spokesman for tennis. I have a podcast. I can Tuesdays with stories. Uh, maybe I can push it more and try to get people more into it. I was teaching a guy how to score yesterday or how the score works. But uh, can't we just change it to one, two, three, four, tie, he's almost going to win? I mean, couldn't we replace 15, 30, and 40 with one, two, three, four? Yes. You have just li- – I had a guy in here earlier who – his the breadth of his knowledge of tennis is astounding. You virtually know nothing. And yet, and yet, I think you just changed the game for the better for all time. Well, I mean, they keep score like that with the tie break. Why can't we just do it for every set in the game? Agreed. I do think that would make some difference. Seriously, I think the kid turns it over on TV uh, to tennis on, you know, kind of surfing and they come across tennis and they might like the action, but they have no idea what's going on. And I think that that's, you know, football's ubiquitous. It's a very complex sport, but it's ubiquitous in the United States. And I know you don't know what ubiquitous means. It means it's everywhere. Uh, and, and so it's easy because you're around it from day one. You're out in the parking lot, you know, or out in the sandlot playing. And so you know how to keep score. Tennis is not like that. When did you learn how to, and how did you learn how to keep score? I kind of just learned by watching enough tennis. Like you, just, you watch enough for a while, a couple hours, and you're like, okay, I see where it's going now. And then, uh, I don't know. I guess you could Google it. But even trying to explain to somebody, it's still difficult because you're like, you play, but you just go, all right, it's four points, and then you got to win by two. It's like essentially it, but that, even that doesn't make sense because then it's deuce and advantage and all that crap. It should just say play to four, win by two. And then it's instead of deuce and all that, it's 6-6. Six, six. It's 7-6. Seven, it's 7-7. Seven, seven, it's whatever. Yeah, I think win by two is a universally accepted scoring system in every sport you ever played as a kid. Uh, that's a pretty normal, you know, situation. And so anytime I look at anything and I don't understand it, the first thing I say, well, this is stupid. Right. And then I don't do it. 
Yeah, well, especially when love, people just, uh, literally, I've watched so many people dismiss it just by going, love, 15 love? Why do you get 15 points for one point? Ah, they go, it's stupid. Yeah, this is stupid. It's probably a pretty good descriptor. So, all right, so let's talk about, get away from how awful this dumb sport is. And let's talk about, you. I've heard, now you're from Boston, you moved here to pursue comedy. That didn't work out for you, so now... No, no, of course he's, again, he's toured all over the world. Um, and I, like I said, he's my favorite, one of my favorite. I'm going to say favorite because he's right here. And, and so you are all about this city. I hear you on your podcast, Tuesdays with Stories, which, by the way, if you listen to this podcast regularly and you're not too offended, it doesn't mean you're going to be a big fan of the old Tuesdays with Stories because he goes quite, they go, him and his uh, co-host, uh, Mark Norman, go quite a bit further than I do. I think I say shit and asshole, and that's about it. Um, so if that's as much as you can take, please don't tune in. And if you do tune in, don't hate me for it. All right, so what was I saying? So, But I've heard you on your podcast talk about, well, you tell stories, obviously, and you'll tell stories about being in the city and just, you know, these magic nights that come together because this city is just alive. And this city does a lot throughout the year. A lot of major things are here. How big is the U.S. Open in regards to this city? Um, you know, is it even a blip for people that don't know about it or does it take over the city? Uh, it's weird. I guess it's all perspective. There's so many people. It's like America where people are like, everyone hates, everyone loves, uh, you know, whatever celebrity. And you're like, half the people have never even heard of this person. So there's like 9 million people here. So it's a huge deal to a lot of people. Obviously, the tennis world is all here. Uh, and I know a lot of people that aren't real tennis fans, but they go out there. It's something to do. Um, so I guess in the grand scheme, most people don't even know it's happening, I guess, most New Yorkers. But for me, it's exciting because it's like having the circus come to town. And I love tennis. And then if you've never been or you go, it's like a festival. It's huge. And it's getting better and better every year, especially the early rounds where like you can watch top players right in front of you. And there's, you know, 20 courts going and then there's great food and drinks and people just go to be social and then there's celebrities. So it's like a quintessentially New York. It's the only major I've been to. I'm going to try to go to Paris next year. Um, but it's unbelievable to me. I think it's awesome, and uh, I love it. I highly recommend. Come, if you haven't been to New York and you're a tennis fan, come visit the city during tournament time. Go out to a night sesh, go to a day sesh, and then see the city the rest of the time. Yeah, I mean, I think that you could be two streets over and a car could blow up, and no one except people of that half of the block would know what happens. I think that's a good descriptor of a giant. I mean, when I say a giant event, I mean a giant event. It is the, large, the, the most attended annual event in the world. So World Cup beats it because it's once every four years. This is an annual event and it's the most attended. And I think part of it is because obviously it's a Grand Slam. So it's one of the four Super Bowls of our sport. But I think the other side of it is the environment that it creates being in this city. I mean, if this tournament was in Topeka, Kansas, with the same prize money, the same players, I don't think anybody would care. This city adds a ton to the whole scene. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that from the top of Arthur Ashe, you get a great view of the uh, of the skyline and then the, the seven train coming in. And then while they're playing, you can hear the seven train brakes squeaking and squealing and coming in. There's the whole boardwalk walking up to it. It's It feels like New York. And then there's you know, McEnroe's involvement feels very New York. And uh, 
the, the crowd, it gets a little round, those early rounds, especially when it's two in the morning and they're drunk and you have to like wait for the hecklers and stuff. It feels like New York, they'll turn on you and uh, it's great. I love it. I think I called it a major, by the way. Sorry, that's a golf term, I guess, but uh, I apologize. I know nothing about the sport, according to you, you son of a bitch. It is a major. That, that's one of the words. It's one of the four majors. That's, that's legit. Thank you. So the whole vibe in New York, for sure, is is surrounding this event. And I think they play off each other. And I think the players get to be a little bit more out there than they would at maybe, say, the stodgy old grounds at Wimbledon. Um, do you like watching the other majors as much? Like on TV, because obviously you're not there, so you can't compare going to New York to going to Paris. But do you like watching those other events? Does it seem a little more demure compared to uh, the maniac action here? I mean, I don't know what demure means, but um, I, wa- I don't watch Australia too much, or Australia, however you say it, because of the time. You know, it's hard to watch, but uh, I watch the French as much as I can. Wimbledon, I love watching. I do love watching. I mean, Wimbledon seems like the most classic. You know, they're in white. It's grass. It feels like Wimbledon. Um, but, uh, yeah, but uh, US Open I watch the most because it's, you know, it's, I'm of that uh, time zone, obviously. So, um, I don't know. I love it. It's the coolest to watch. I, I like the... Hardcore. I like the whole thing. I love it. I just, uh, I love it. It's my favorite of them. Although Clay seems fun. I'd like to go there. If you got bad knees or bad hips, Clay's fantastic. But I, my favorite Grand Slam is the one that's going on at that time. But when I get to New York, I remember, oh, yeah, this one's badass. This is the best one because I'm American. And this is quintessential, you know, American New York brash in your face and all that kind of stuff. So... Uh, I guess I'll admit that you do know something about tennis. You're getting better as a player. You just keep working with me. We'll see if we can keep that going. So is there anything that you don't know about tennis that just like, what is that? Why are, why are they doing that? Oh, boy. Um, boy, that's tough to uh, think of. Off the Oh, here's what I don't know. This is what I don't understand. And I read uh, Agassiz's book. I don't understand how exactly the rankings work. I've tried to, I know there's a point system and then before every major, they're like, all right, if he wins this, he'll be number one. I don't understand what it means exactly or how the points gather up. You just gain points by winning your placement. Yeah, it's a lot like Pokemon. No, I have no idea what Pokemon is. All right, so it's a, it's a 12 month rolling scale. So let's say we start at January and every, let's say everyone plays the exact same tournament. It's just to make the math easy. Let's say you get 10 points for winning a tournament. You don't, but let's just say that for math. So you play a tournament, you win it, you get 10 points. Now you have 10 points. Now you keep those 10 points and you add points to it as you go throughout the season. Now when you get back around to that tournament January 1st, those points for that tournament are going to come off. So whatever you do with that tournament the next year, those points replace the points. So if you won it last year and you don't even play it, you are automatically down 10 points for that 12-month period. So it's a rolling 12-month point system. So the key words you'll hear is, you know, he or she has points to defend. Um, a, good, a, a good way to look at, like the women right now, there's, there's a number one is up for grabs. There's three women that can win it or that can take over number one after this tournament. And it's because of how it's connected how many points they have and how many points they they had last year at the U.S. Open and how that factors in, how they do in relation to that. Because those points are getting replaced by this year's points. Did that make sense? Not really. And then how often do they redo the rankings? Well, they they don't 
Every, every, it's a continuous clock, so we're going through the calendar. So you play January. Last year's January is gone. You just replaced it. So if you if you won, that's the only tournament you won. So you won January first. You got ten points. You're gonna have ten points. You didn't win anything else all year. You're still gonna have those ten points December thirty first. Now January first comes around the next year. If you don't play that tournament, that tournament falls off, and you have zero again. So now if you won January and February, you had 20 points. You had 10 for January, 10 for February, won nothing else. You get back around to January, those 10 points fall off. You don't play it, you get zero. Now you only have 10 because you got February's points from last year still. So it's just a, it's like a conveyor belt of months going around and around. And as you, as you move to the next month, that one's going to fall off. So and it just keeps going. So it gets, so they, they, you know, so yeah, there is that your, your face is not uh, encouraging. It's still confusing. So how often is there a new number one once a year? You're not the, just number one all year. It happens, changes. Right. It does change the stat sort of that matters. I think at least the stat I point to, to keep my claim together that Pete Sampras is the greatest player in the history of tennis is the year end number one. So you finish at the end of the year, number one, because all of the points have been played throughout the year. And so you kind of have done how you've done. Um, but yeah, it, it changes or can change throughout the season, depending on points. Um, but, uh, but so they, they, you know, so number ones change at any point in time that the points change. Um, but what you've seen in the men is those top four guys, Federer, Murray, Djokovic, um, and Nadal, is they were so far ahead at different times that they, people couldn't catch up. So even if they won you know, a lot of matches, they just couldn't catch up. So hopefully that sh- still doesn't look like I've shed any light. A, l- a little bit. I mean, I kind of understand it. It's weird. But So this is the last – the U.S. Open's the last Grand Slam of the year, and then Australia kicks it off again. Right, so this is the last grand cap for this calendar year. So when you hear that they won the Grand Slam, they won all four, technically it should be the same calendar year, although holding all four in a row. So if you didn't win Australia in 2017, but you just won um, French Wimbledon U.S. Open, and then next year's Australian, you're holding all four titles. You have all four cups just not in the same calendar year. Um, there are a couple events here and there. There's a year-end championship that the best kind of an invite to the best players on the men's and women's side, and that's for points. And then you know, there's various other random tournaments here and there. But it pretty much goes dark until um, the sunshine down under. So Now, what about this, uh, this Rod Laver Cup? Do you think that's going to be something, this Europe versus the world? Could that be a thing, a big event? Now, I don't think he's, he's been listening to my podcast here, people. But we did talk about that last week, so I'm actually even more impressed and feel like more of an asshole than I think he didn't know anything. But that's pretty impressive. It's just some new competition, money grab that they're trying to – I literally have no idea. They don't even have a site for it yet, I don't think. so. I think well, they announced it's going to be Budapest. Isn't that what they said? Are you shitting me? I swear to God, Budapest is September 20th through the 22nd. Is that a city or a country? I'm not sure. Budapest is a country, a city in Hungary. Wow. I went there last year. This guy. Oh, I see. So he performed there. Uh, yeah. So it's just a new, uh, just a competition. It's going to be a little bit different of a format. Um, it's basically like Ryder Cup in golf, if you're familiar, where it's uh, Europe against America. Um, this one is going to be uh, Europe against the world, which you just mentioned earlier. Another tidbit that you, of your knowledge in tennis um, that 
Europe is kicking our ass. This is going to give them another chance to kick our ass. Uh, so it's a competition of Europe versus the world. So that means they have Federer, who's from Europe. Nadal, who's from Europe. Djokovic, if he wanted to play, he's from Europe. So uh, Andy Murray, Europe. If they were all healthy, the top four players in the world would be playing against our awful players and one guy from Canada. Yeah, well, maybe uh, Del Portro, is he in there? Or Nishikori? Those guys are good. They are both from the world. And so uh, I think they're in the mix. I don't know if they're done picking the teams, but so I, I'm not going to watch much of it. I probably will because I have a podcast, but I, I just don't want to see our guys get their ass kicked any more than they have been. Right. I, lo- I love uh, Nishikori. I got to see uh, Nishikori play uh, Warinka in the quarters a couple of years ago. It was a great match. I don't know if you remember it. Oh, I'm sure I do. It was fantastic. Well, listen, you've got to get down the road because you have to go perform, which is very exciting. Once again, no free tickets in his hand. So uh, he is really uh, taking advantage of this relationship. Just free tennis, free tennis. Uh, But no, no, no. Believe me, I'm honored that you're here. I appreciate your love for tennis. And uh, hopefully I can help keep stoking that fire. And uh, I appreciate you taking some time to spread your semi-famous knowledge about tennis um, to our fans. Thank you. Now, listen, we run a pretty loose ship here on this podcast, <laughs> but it is nothing like the Joe List uh, podcast, so yes. don't hold that against us. Uh, I do listen to his podcast, Tuesdays with Stories. Uh, I, I'd suggest you take a listen. If this podcast, if the Tennis Revolution podcast is barely enough for you to handle, I would suggest not t- tuning in to <laughs> right. uh, Tuesdays with Stories, um, but uh but listen, he's a stand-up comedian. He lives in a different world. Um, but uh, but anyway, so yeah. So I appreciate him taking the time. Um, he was actually on, the, on his way to perform in Manhattan. Got off on a different stop. Popped into the hotel. We sat down in a back room in a lobby where he could get some quiet, sort of. And, uh, and uh, he was nice enough to spend uh, close to an hour with me. I don't know how much my... Our uh, producer uh, cut it up and got rid of stuff, but... I think he left about two minutes in. There it is. Um... <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's two minutes without us. So right, it's tough for the listeners to handle. So, but yeah, so that was just some insight from uh, from a local, as it were, and uh, it just gives a different different uh, look at the uh, U.S. Open and what it you know what it all means to well, somebody. I, I wonder if you if you've been there for twenty five years, if you just sort of like oh it's the U.S. Open again, you don't really pay attention. Uh, you know, I don't think it ever gets that mundane. I would assume, especially if you're a tennis fan. Well, if you're a tennis person, um, fan, player, coach, or whatever. Um, it doesn't get old because it's a, it's a giant event and it means a lot points wise and money wise and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. History wise. It is different players every year too. But if you're a New Yorker first and then maybe somebody who, you know, it's, it is part of just another thing to do in New York for a lot of people, you know, for anybody, for a lot of people that actually attend. I mean, obviously there's 11 million people in and around New York. Right. And, or more who, uh, hell, I don't know. And so, Obviously, a tiny percentage of those goes to the U.S. Open. But with that being said, because, you know, we're talking about the attendance, a vast number of those are from everywhere. You know what I mean? So, um, so for, but, but for a lot of people, it's probably just another thing to do. It's like going down to, you know, Rockefeller Center and ice skating during winter or whatever else all that the city has to offer. Uh, it's just kind of another activity. Yeah, I would like to see the breakdown of the the fans at the Open. How many are from New York, and how many are just like not even really tennis fans? It's like you said, it's oh, let's go to the U.S. Open today and see what's going on and watch 
a couple hours of tennis and then leave. Right. Like they really don't have a vested interest in anybody. They just want to, like you said, something to do. Well, we should probably make this podcast about four hours. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. We're not. We're not. But this is it, man. What do we got? We yeah. got the Rod Laver Cup. Yeah, which is, and they're got, trying to promote that so badly. I know. I know. <laughs> and then we've got, obviously, the year in championships. Which who's um, going to play in the men's? There's who knows? nobody left. Who knows? But, um, but yeah, that's it, man. Yeah, almost tennis is over till January. But don't, <laughs> don't forget about us. No, because we're here every week. That's right. It's what it's about. Now we've been distracted talking about oh this tournament and what this player is doing. Now it's time in the off season to fix tennis. That's right. To fix American tennis and tennis in general, and tell all these people that are in power that are doing stupid stuff <laughs> on how to how to fix it. Yeah. We can get in the meat and potatoes of tennis now, the serious issues that need to be fixed. Yeah, and then we won't sound so dumb when it comes out on Tuesday and the tournament's already two days gone <laughs> and, and right. we look like idiots. Well, and I don't think some of these big players are going to play the rest of the year, even some of the ones that haven't said that yet. I think they're like Federer. I would be surprised he plays again this year. Maybe he plays the year end, but even maybe. that, I wouldn't think he would play. Yeah, maybe He's not. all about the Grand Slams now. I, if it's in Dubai, he'll play. He always is in Dubai. <laughs> I don't know where it's at, right. but he uh, always plays in I Dubai. I don't even know. Makes me ill. Um, yeah, so, uh, that's it for the, basically that's it for the tennis season. Yes. Which again, if they did it right, like we'd want them, it'd be a more segmented pronounced season and maybe wouldn't, wouldn't have all these damn injuries, but we got the year end should be next week and then it should be over for three months. Yeah. But instead we got to wait two months for the year end or push the U S O you can't push it back, but right. Pretty soon it's gonna be too cold in New York. So anyway, all right, well. All right, sir. I mean, Rebecca missed out on this one. She did. Welcome back. By the way, we didn't go into enough <laughs> on the fact that you picked Kevin Anderson. Thank you. We both picked Federer. I was going to brag for the whole hour. Right, listen. If he had won the tournament, but he didn't, so but I didn't want to brag. she equaled your pick. I know. I think she picked Keys. She did. Who did I pick? I think you picked Federer, too. I think y'all both picked Federer. And then I picked Hallett. Well, you had a conditional <laughs> Hallett pick. <laughs> and who did I pick if I... Uh, well, yeah, I think you might have said Venus, maybe Venus. If how uh, we don't know. have her here, she normally charts all our picks. I know. To well, throw well in her face. when they're wrong, right? They're exactly. Wrong. She doesn't probably didn't write down Anderson. Once no, made it that far, right? But that was. Let me tell you something. That was an intuitive, insightful, impressive pick. That describes me to a T. Well, what I was going to say is I don't know how the, how the <laughs> hell it came out of your <laughs> dumb face. Well, I will say I did look up after a few rounds his odds when this tournament started. And he was one hundred twenty-five to one. Of course, I didn't bet any money, stupidly, which I wouldn't have won, but it would have been nice to have a Well, little, can't you bet them to the final? Like yeah, but I'm sure other, the odds got better each round. Yeah, um, you picked them before. You should have laid some money down, man. Yeah, 20 bucks. That would have been that would have been a lot. There uh, we go. But uh, yeah, he didn't do it. He couldn't pull it out. I, in truthfulness, I wasn't expecting him to have to play Federer at all for him to win. He would have, against any either of those, besides those two, he would have had a chance, but... Yeah, those two guys. I don't see any way he beats them in a three out of five Grand Slam format. Yeah, well, listen, people out there, uh, the NFL has started. Yes, the Steelers are one and zero, but don't let that excitement deter you from tuning back in next week for the Tennis Revolution because we are still here. We're still keeping up with what's going on. Still trying to make this game in our country, in particular, better. So, uh, Corey, you got anything else? That's it, Rebecca. Thank God. <laughs> um all right well everybody out there oh got good news yes good news i don't know what this means but i think i'm going to say it right we are now also on stitcher 
We're on iTunes <laughs> and we're on Stitcher. All the Stitcher people have been waiting, clamoring I, for us. I don't even know what that means. I, I have think no clue what, what that it means. means is that if you have an Android, <laughs> you can more easily download and like subscribe and okay. do whatever all that stuff means. Is that what they use in China? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That, again, I don't think they have the internet in okay. China. So if you're listening to, to this podcast in China, thank you for taking the risk. But listen, just don't. All right? Just come on. I can do without one or two listeners, you know, because <laughs> I don't want you to disappear. In, right. In a, what's a gulag? Do they have gulags in China? Probably they, not. Well, Russia. if they do, they're not called gulags. I, exactly. All right. Corey, anything? So yeah, so Stitcher. So if you have yes. friends and they have a and they don't <laughs> have an iPhone, why are you friends with these morons? After that, if we just get, lost any potential new listeners if we you, could have had. If you can get, well, they couldn't because right. they didn't have iTunes. True. So, so hopefully they won't listen to this one. They'll listen to next week. <laughs> so if you if you do have an Android for some reason, uh, I guess Stitcher means you can listen uh, now. So if you have a friend with Android and you have defriended them because of that uh tell them about us tell them to download stitcher and uh and subscribe and uh check us out and uh tell all your friends do all that stuff of course definitely go to our webpage, uh tennis revolution podcast.com you can uh contact us give us ideas tell us how much we suck uh or in my case how awesome um <laughs> we are and uh congratulations Corey, every now and again on all his, uh, uh, one pick out of 50. Once a year, every once in a while. Good. We're not going to mention my women's pick, but I there did pick we, Anderson. There we go. <laughs> so to win the women's, are we doing that now after the, yes. All right. So thanks everybody out there uh, for joining the revolution and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye guys. Maria, call me. Call me.